This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got a phenomenal episode because I've been actually uh, waiting for this guest because we've just we've been super excited to have him on. It's Cameron McNeil, Executive Director Partner at MLA Canada. Yes, yes. We've been hoping to have Cameron McNeil on the show for a very long time. Very excited to finally uh, have him on. Cameron McNeil, of course, it basically built MLA Canada uh, a real estate marketing firm, huge in Vancouver, but also in other areas across the country, uh, up from nothing, right? He's been in the real estate game here in Vancouver since sometime in the 90s. Uh, talk about having your finger on the pulse of the pre-sale market, the new construction market, but also the resale market. I mean, sure. he's he's got his finger on the pulse across the board here. So it's so good to talk to him today. If you are an agent who, who wants to get excited about kind of growing through the market. If you're an investor, if you're uh, just somebody who's a real estate uh, aficionado in Vancouver, this is going to be one for the books. That, that's absolutely right. And if you're an agent, Adam, before we cut to, to our talk with Cameron McNeil, we have a, a couple housekeeping uh, items here. But if you're an agent... Yes. Scalina Real Estate and the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast is hiring. We mentioned it last week. We buried it right at the end. Uh, let's <laughs> sure. be let's be upfront about uh, our need for a new real estate agent uh, for our team right now. 
Yeah, and we are we are definitely hiring. So if you are a new agent or a seasoned agent or an agent who's currently in the licensing process, feel free to get in touch. Uh, we don't like to toot our own horn too much, but we are a top producing team in the Vancouver area. Um, so we are very, very busy. If you want to work in a busy environment and if you want to work with top agents, get in touch. And how can people get in touch, Matt? Yes, you can get in touch by sending us a note with a resume to info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com and uh yeah to toot at them but it's a uh, it's clean real estate pretty good place to work absolutely a great place to work matt and and we are biased but uh so, some of some of the best guys out there <laughs> <laughs> yeah ranked one of the best places to work in canada by uh secret scalina so this is this is a this is definitely a spot you want to be um, Matt, we have to talk about the market because I feel like things are changing right now amidst kind of um, a little bit of optimism around this planking of the curve. Yeah, exactly. I, I think in the last week, week and a half, it feels like uh, the the deep freeze is kind of beginning to thaw a bit here. Um, I'm feeling much more optimistic. I mean, we're hiring. That's right. one one sign, right? But um, but we're a couple days off the uh, the stats being released for April. But I don't think they're going to be very indicative of what's going on. Just like March wasn't, because I, for the first two weeks, two and a half weeks of April, it, it felt like you know uh, a great time to get caught up on your Netflix. The last week, week and a half, two weeks, it does feel. Uh, quite a bit busier out there. Sure. And, and you know, we've, we've just, we were talking before we went live here, uh, we monitor East Van Detached uh, like, like hawks. And uh, there's been, just after the weekend here, you know, probably about, I can think of about five or six multiple offers, some of them on, on places that we didn't think would sell over asking necessarily. And uh, definitely, you know, six or seven offers. There was a house over on, on Pender, beautiful kind of Edwardian home that was um, really well done, uh, but sold, th- I think, over $350,000 over asking or in and around there. So huge, huge activity in the detached market in East Vancouver. Um, we're also noticing like we have a, uh, a one bed downtown that's under contract. Um, and in, it, it really comes down to the sub area and the price band. We've been talking to a lot of agents throughout Metro Vancouver who work in uh, other submarkets other than ours, and they're busy uh, depending on the product type, but they definitely have listings that are getting a lot of activity, and they're definitely helping buyers find homes now. So uh, I think you're right. I feel like we've kind of turned a corner here. Not saying that the market is is going to be back to where it was per se, but um, I'm kind of thinking that uh, people are going to have to figure out a way to buy and sell real estate because um, you can't put your life on hold forever. That that that's exactly it. Like I mean, with our listings, uh, I would say we've had more calls in the last week than than in the month prior to that. Um, and you know, with your comments on East Van Detached, I would characterize January and February in the first weeks of March as being surprised by what things were listed at, thinking it was high, and then very surprised by uh, what they sold for. And sure. some of these some of these properties that sold over the last week, again, uh, I would say that was exactly how I felt. I thought they were on the high side and multiple offers, and they went over asking. So um, it's yeah, a rising it's, market. It's, de- it's a rising market. And it still feels like it's a rising market just because inventory hasn't caught up. 
Yeah, and and the listings definitely have not been piling up. That that's for sure. So watch for the stats. We'll have those out to everybody on our on our uh, on our email list, uh, including all the sales ratios with the sub areas this week. Uh, once they're released, I think Friday or Monday latest. Um, and what else do we got before Cameron McNeil? Man, we're going on a, a a tear here, Adam. But we still have our sponsor, Oakland Realty. Yes, Matt, we are sponsored by Oakland Realty, which is the most supportive brokerage out there. It is a great place to be. And if you are a brand new agent and you're looking to sit down with a brokerage, definitely check out Oakland Realty. And also, if you're a seasoned agent and you're thinking, you know what, it's time for a change, oaklandrealty.com slash join. And uh, what tell the, tell the listeners, Matt, what you get. So, so this is exactly what you do. You head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP2020, that's VRP2020, and you receive a free mystery gift. Yeah, Matt, Oakland is such a great place to be, and, and the training there is phenomenal. It's super exciting, and really, I mean, just work work with the best in the city for sure. Um, but on top that's of right. that, the icing on the cake is you get this this giant surprise and i have no idea what it is no one's told us what it is they refuse to tell us uh, i think they're worried we're going to spill the beans spill and it, exactly oakland.com slash join vrp 2020 become a real estate nerd like adam yeah and just become a general nerd like matt um <laughs> uh, but this is going to be this is this is really going to be a great conversation do we have anything else matt before we get to our interview with cameron mcneil uh, i don't think so let's cut to our talk with cameron mcneil uh founder partner at mla canada enjoy Okay, so we're here with Cameron McNeil, Executive Director and Partner at MLA Canada. How are you doing, Cameron? I'm doing great. How are you doing, uh, Adam and Matt? V- very well. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for taking the time uh, and hope you're healthy and uh, staying home. Yeah, uh, indeed. Uh, quarantined in, uh, in my den with my uh, trusted dog at my side. And I wish I was uh, with you guys face-to-face in studio, but these are crazy times we're in right now. <laughs> Well, hopefully we, yeah, hopefully we get to do this again uh, in in person at the studio for sure. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to have you back when the when the craziness uh, ends here. But um, maybe maybe Cameron for for our listeners, can you maybe start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I, I grew up in Vancouver and um, went went to UBC and met my wife there and um, uh, have always. Um, uh, lived and worked here in Vancouver. I had a good fortune um, coming out of business school, um, meeting um, Roberto Aquilini for the Aquilini Group, and um, that was an introduction into the real estate development world. I was uh, involved in in doing some sales and marketing with with them, and this is going back to 1992, so 20 28 years ago, and um, and that led me to. Uh, to working with uh, the Ani and Amicron groups as uh, in, in the marketing side of the business, and then when I was 29, I left and started my own own company. And the market back in in uh, 2000 2001 wasn't that great, and so kind of so scraping along. And, and my my uh, my small business was being incubated out of my wife's uh, office, and um, 
uh, a partner joined me a year later, and uh, we had a couple lucky breaks early in the days. Um, had a good fortune of, of doing all of Ani's work um, when we were still in our early 30s, and that was um, a terrific way for us to grow our portfolio and add a bunch of fantastic team members. And uh, I bought my business partner out in 2008, and then uh, you recall that was the year that the whole market crashed. Right. So that was bad timing for me and um, had some good fortune coming out of that recovery of that market. And, um, and that uh, company was called Mac Marketing Solutions. Um, uh, and then about five years ago, I merged my business with uh, Mac Marketing Solutions with another company called Boulevard Marketing Group. And we changed the name to MLA Canada, which stands for McNeil, Lalonde and Associates. And Ryan Lalonde is the other uh, primary partner. Um, of that organization. And now there's uh, four partners in Vancouver and another partner in Fraser Valley. So Susanna Gonkaldas, uh, Shana McQuestion, and uh, Brittany Reimer are my other three partners today. Wow, yeah. fantastic. So, so, so Cameron, you've been uh, on the front lines or at least, and I guess heading up a, a various uh, companies over the last close to 30 years. Um we're in a pretty unique moment here. You've been through uh, a number of market cycles and some pretty unique moments, uh, notably 2008. Um, what are your thoughts on the current moment and, and how does it, uh, is there any other time that this reminds you of in any way? <laughs> well, you know, it's, um, I mean, there are some parallels. Um, I definitely learned some lessons in 2008 and was was very lucky to be able to to come out of that and, and prosper and and I think um, I think that that you know that um, that chapter of of our business growing um, you know was really driven by a lot of innovation and 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 optimism and, and faith that the the real estate market was going to continue to grow and the city and the region was going to continue to grow and you know this, we had a systemic global economic problem. It wasn't just a local Vancouver real estate cycle issue, and and so I think that there are some parallels, but this is this is really um, a difficult time, and I think the real difference is that you know people are just you know, really really scared, and and um, I think this is um, uh, fundamentally you know changing people's behavior and perhaps you know for the um, uh, permanently. Um, you know, I think people are really getting, you know, grounded, spending a lot of time with their loved ones. And, um, and so, uh, you, we don't know if it's going to go on for six months or, or, or 12 months or longer, but, but certainly I, I think that, but, you know, there's going to be, uh, changes that are, that are here to stay. Now, it could be a 5% change or a 30% change, but there's, there's definitely a lot of change. And, and when, when, uh, when I hear that, um, I, I think about opportunity. I think about creativity. I think about um, uh, how we can lead the industry forward and 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 really um, adapt ourselves to to accommodate new patterns and and new new ways uh, people live and act and and um, and as their needs change. So, so I think that there are a lot of um, uh, interesting things happening right now, and every day is is seems like is fluid you know, every day. We're just happy to, you know, I think to, to, uh, uh, be grateful that we're here in Vancouver and, uh, you know, that, that, uh, 
our concern goes to our, our family and, and loved ones. And, and so it's, uh, it's just an interesting time. Just thinking about that, the, um, you know, uh, we've talked to a lot of people who, who are, are saying kind of similar things in terms of, Hey, this might be change kind of the culture a bit, change the way that, uh, um, you know, we're not going back to the, to the old, old ways, hundred uh, percent, but there's going to be a new normal. You, you mentioned new patterns there. Like, are you guys, are you, are you guys at this moment in terms of opportunities and thinking about how that changes the way people live or, or make purchases? Are you guys at a, taking a wait and see approach or are there, is there some indication or ideas right now as to what these, these changes look like? Well, I, I guess for, for, to help answer that question, giving a little better context around our business, you know, we're we're involved in in uh, advisory and consulting work throughout the life cycle of a project, from the point where a developer acquires or has a piece of land, and and they're working through what's their best path forward, and that can be everything from design input to to uh, to strategy to highest and best use, and so very early on, we're spending a lot of energy and time to try to optimize the the opportunity for for stakeholders of that particular project then of course we get involved in in uh, marketing and and exposing and 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 educating the uh the the public and the potential uh consumers of that real estate and then of course the transaction so the sale or the or the leasing we do we do a lot of rental work as well and uh and then all the customer service work that that is, needs to be woven into all of that so those are sort of the the buckets we do and to answer your question, um, when transactional volume falls off, um, which is happening now as, as people are, are not making major purchases or they're, they're staying home and distancing themselves from others, um, the consulting and advisory work is, is going up. So developers are saying, Oh my gosh, what do we do? Um, you know, the, everything's changing. You know, should we be, should we still be planning to open up this summer, this fall, or do we have to delay? And what does that look like? And so there's a lot of, uh, a shift in our work, but we're still busy uh, helping our developers with uh, with helping them uh, plan and 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 think about the next um, you know three, six, and twelve months forward. Cameron, I'm just thinking about uh, about the presale market maybe before COVID. Can can we talk about what was happening in the presale market at the say the you know late 2019, early 2020? <clears throat> yeah, you bet. So. As you recall, the market was incredibly red hot all the way through 17 and the first half of 2018. And, uh, well, probably going back to 2016, the market was very hot, both in the resale and in the uh, pre-sale market. There was no supply, seemed like insatiable demand. Um, uh, the provincial NDP government ran on a, on a platform of, of really trying to, to, to con- control that. And they came in with several measures, as you recall, that really were a catalyst to slowing down the market in, in um, around May, June of 2018. So the market really slowed down quite dramatically. And we were in a slump for most of 12 months. But but the fundamentals below the surface were still so strong. There's still so much immigration into the country. Vancouver being one of the, the bright spots in the entire country where people want, you know, want to live um, and stay or move to. So, so um, uh, incredible pressure. And the industry is not able to, to keep up with that demand by creating new supply. So it was inevitable that the, the market forces were going to start uh, an upward trajectory again, and that's exactly what happened. 
starting in the latter half of 2019, right up to COVID, the market was on a, a, a trajectory and all indications were even March of 2020, where that is going to be a, a very, very solid month. Month over month, it was getting better and better and better. Prices were already on the rise again. <clears throat> and transactional volume was way up. But of course, if you look at the stats, March was an interesting month because the first two weeks were way up and the last two weeks were way down. And so it became sort of an average month. <clears throat> April will be the telling month, of course. So pre-sale market followed that same broad pattern. Um, sales were quite healthy um, in the in the last um, half of 2019 and going into 2020. All of our projects were doing well. Um, I think the only one market that was probably lagging was the <clears throat> was the real luxury end of the condo market, the really, really expensive downtown stuff. But the broader market, 95% of the market was very solid. Mm. And, and, and has it just basically like we uh, display centers have, have shuttered uh, and, and they're not open obviously at this point, but they're, they're still open for business. Are you guys seeing uh, much like the resale market that it's, it's basically the last couple of weeks have basically stalled? Yes, you bet. Um, last, um, since the middle of March, right through to the, to the present, now we're in the middle of, of April. Um, it's been very slow. We don't have the exact stats, but we not only refer to all of our projects, but also all of our peers and we're, 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 we're uh, monitoring the broader market as best we can. And there's two things going on. There seems to be, um, a very uh, low expectation that a lot of transactional volume is going to happen, that the industry, including MLA is continuing to, uh, uh, engage with our, with our, um, general public and those that are, that are interested. And there is this, this feeling of, of, uh, of long-term interest. People want to buy and, and their, their, their household, uh, needs are changing as there is, you know, people are, you know, married or having children or, uh, different stages of life. And, uh, so the, their housing needs are still there and there's still very little supply. Um, but they're just not going to be making a decision, um, in this environment. There's just too much uncertainty, too much uncertainty about employment and, and, um, uh, you know, you name it, there's, there's, there's no urgency at all. So, um, we're finding that, that we're still seeing a reasonable volume of inquiries and, and we're trying, um, uh, our best to be able to, as an industry, uh, engage with the with the consumers, but but really the transactional volume is is way down, and and our expectations are they're they're going to remain down for a while. Um, you know, both realtors and and um, you know what MLA are, are are doing now is we're really innovating how we how we engage with customers. There's always been virtual tours and you know information online, but we are uh, MLA is doubling down on that. We're spending a lot of energy and resources um, building. Uh, innovative ways to be able to interact um, in, with a, you know, uh, not just a, a one-way uh, information uh, flow, but a two-way interaction with our consumer to be able to, in a virtual capacity, uh, showcase our real estate. But until until the broader economy comes back and people start moving back to a little bit more norm- <laughs> normality in their lives, we don't expect a lot of transactional volume. Do you think, Cameron, that this in a lot of ways could be kind of the catalyst uh, for moving real estate online? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We we already at MLA predicted that, you know, in 2020, we'd be selling a real estate 
with a shopping cart in, in on a website. So people can actually buy a condo sight unseen, just like ordering a pair of shoes, shoes from Amazon. You, you, you pay for them, they get delivered to your house. If you like them, you keep them. If you don't like them, you send them back and get, get a discount. Same idea with real estate. Um, in pre-sale environment, we have a seven-day right of rescission. Um, we think that consumers will make a decision to to, <clears throat> to uh, buy real estate, but then they can go to the presentation center to validate that decision. Um, so we don't think it's it's going to be um, 100% of consumers moving that way, but we see a trend going that way. And um, so we're... You know, we're proud to be you know, uh, pioneering that and leading that, but but um, I, I think that what we're seeing is consumers are making much more of the decision uh, process because you know real estate's a ma- you know uh, one of the major uh, lifetime decisions that an individual or a couple will be making. Much more of that decision making process is happening on their couch versus um, logistically driving around or going to a sales center or touring projects with a realtor, much more of that is done independently while someone's sitting in the evening on their couch. <clears throat> so we, we want to be in a sophisticated way, educating and providing good information, but also providing an opportunity for people to interact with another human being and, and have a conversation. So we want to make sure that we've got tools that allow a customer to get much further down the chain or much further down the line, I should say, um, before they actually have to get in the car and physically go see it. Right. And when, when you were talking about like the, the current state of, uh, the market kind of post COVID-19, can, can we talk, you mentioned that, you know, for kind of for the foreseeable future, you see this, um, the market as, as being quite soft. And we've been asking a lot of people for their kind of crystal ball predictions. And we realize everybody's crystal ball is pretty murky right now. But, <laughs> yeah. but, um, any thoughts on kind of like what the balance of 2020 look like, looks like? And, um, and, and maybe when we start to see, um, some optimism or, or, uh, some movement back into the marketplace? Yeah. I think, I think quite often, when we're looking at Vancouver real estate, we have a, when I say we, I mean, I'm, I'm referring to um, uh, the media, the general public, a lot of the um, commentary that we hear out there is a very local view. Um, and, and I think we forget that, that we're a city that has a global spotlight on it. And, and yet in relative terms, we're not a large city and um, uh, you know, Canadian immigration numbers are going from, 250,000 people per year just a couple of years ago to 350,000 people per year in 2019 and 2020. And uh, over the next three years, we're a million new Canadians coming into Canada. Canada is a country built on generations of immigration, and it's not going to change. We have an aging population, and, we, and we, we, our economy needs those immigrational, uh, uh, that immigration force uh, coming into the city. Or sorry, coming into the uh, country, I should say. Our charter rights and freedoms allows people to live anywhere they want in Canada. And, uh, you know, many new Canadians or existing Canadians have Vancouver top of their list. And, and I think that a lot of people that have grown up in Vancouver or currently live here and have a lot of nostalgia about Vancouver, um, uh, just need to understand that the reason why they love it so much is the same reason why, um, the rest of the world wants to be here. You know, uh, obviously, it's a it's an expensive place to live, and people have to make great sacrifices to be here financially. But but the you know here we are in the middle of April, and it's a beautiful sunny day. Um, we have uh, a stable uh, a stable um, 
political environment and uh, and great health care and, and, and great education and fresh air, fresh water, and all the reasons why people from other places and more densely populated in the world want to be here. And we will have our ups and downs for sure, as any real estate market and any uh, industry sector has. But the underlying forces are steeply pushing the demand for our real estate upwards. And yet we've got great housing supply constrictions. Um, that strong nostalgia we have um, is, is embedded into all of our municipal forces that really create rezoning difficult. Um, rezoning has always been a real obstacle for us to be able to create a lot of new density. Um, and, and of course, we're also surrounded by mountains and water and ALR, and we have limited land supply. We can't sprawl like many of our um, uh, other North American cities. So we have this incredible um, constraint. We're like an island. We're basically a, a Manhattan-type environment. And uh, and those forces are ultimately what's what's driving our real estate values. Um, people are prepared to come here and, and make great financial sacrifices to remain here or to move here. And we just have to understand that um, that those forces are going to continue to be in an upward trajectory. In our space, where we're involved in the creation and matchmaking of real estate, I have great confidence that over the next 20 years, thousands and thousands of new homes are going to be created, and they're going to be matched with either a homeowner or a tenant, and uh, and that's going to continue um, uh, continue to, to flow. Um, how we do it and is going to uh, innovate and the kinds of homes that we create are going to evolve. Um, but regardless, we're going to need to provide um, hundreds of thousands of new housing units um, uh, to serve the greater Metro Vancouver region in the coming years. In thinking about the, you know, we talked a lot, this is feels like ages ago now, but um, when all the, the policy measures came in, I guess, starting in mid, mid 2016 uh through the the following couple of years um that a lot of a, a lot of the impact of that was kind of reducing demand artificially and and therefore reducing supply and there was fewer uh fewer shovels going into the to the ground and and a lot of people predicted that the result of that would be that we'd be in a similar situation again where there'd just be a lack of supply when when you know the shock of those policy measures wore off, I'd imagine right now you're talking to developers that are potentially thinking of holding off on on projects uh, once again. Yeah, you bet, uh, Matt. That's exactly what happens. So, um, you know, the developer um, uh, acquires a piece of land, but with looking at um, a financial performa, they really analyze very carefully um, what they think they can sell it for, what construction costs are going to be. Um, uh, the availability of construction financing, um, and um, these projects can take anywhere from uh, a very short, easy project might be three years, but many of them take take five, six years by the time um, rezoning and marketing and, and construction happens. These very, very long timelines um, are are predicated on assumptions made around the prices they can sell for and the construction costs, and um, when the real estate market doesn't support those those um, sales values, then the developer is is forced to just be patient and wait until the market comes back up. So if there's a broad market slowdown, then the development community 
simply stops offering real estate, new real estate for sale to the market, unless they absolutely are desperate and have to. But but the vast majority of developers have the ability to turn off the tap and wait and be patient. And that's exactly what happened in twenty um, in 2018 um, when the NDP government came in and, and came in with many of those initiatives that really cooled the market. The development community absolutely just put all their put the brakes on all their projects. So now fast forward to 22, 23, there's going to be, if I want to take this project to, to, to get built, um, there's going to be uh, a supply constraint. And COVID, of course, the market, market uh, as I said earlier, in, in late 2019 and the beginning of this year was really an upper trajectory. Many developers were starting to um, bring their projects back to market again. And then, of course, unfortunately, COVID hit. So the development community broadly is, is going to be waiting until the conditions make sense again. And you asked me about 10 minutes ago, I didn't answer the question very directly. What's my crystal ball tell me? I don't know. I just know that those, those supply demand forces um, are very strong in favor of, of um, continuing to, to push real estate values upward. And when, when those supply forces come back into effect, it's uh, you know, probably the latter half of this year. I don't think it's going to bounce, but I think it's going to come back and people are going to have that long-term um, uh, uh, optimism about Vancouver real estate. But even if it took into the beginning of 2021, I, I think that the development community is very is very um, capable of, of just being patient, waiting for those those um, factors to to realign again. Cameron, I'm, I'm just thinking about like in the resale market for the past six months or so, where we've seen at least based on the 10-year average, some pretty low months of inventory. You know, it's interesting because the last, like we were we were gearing up here for a really busy spring. Um, and part of what felt like it was driving it was the fact that we are already in low inventory times. In your mind, how long does it take actually, like with, with the lack of inventory coming online, like, do, do you see that immediately or does that take time in the market? And, and do you think there's a, a correlation between the measures that were, were brought, um, starting in 2016 by the, by the BCN uh, or provincial government and, um, and the low inventory we've been seeing in the past six months? Well, I, th- um, I think a, lo- a lot of consumers, particularly in the resale market, um, um, are, they have a perception of what the value of their property is. And if it really comes off, um, I think people are reluctant to to uh, list their properties into that market. They, they get excited or they could have some, or they could have uh, substantial debt on that property. And if a home's worth a million, you know, was a million in their, in their perceived mind a year ago, and now they can only get 800. They're just quite, quite often those consumers are just going to sit tight unless they absolutely have to sell. And, and so it does when, when the market does come off, it does create a, a supply constraint. Less people are willing to lift in, into that environment. Um, and, uh, and so, um, another, another way to, to think about it is, is a thin market, I'll call it, where there's low transactions, but the values are still being held high. That's, that's showing that there's, real, there's low supply and low, and, and low transactional volume. Um, uh, a robust market where values are still high has, High transactions and high supply, um, but if you have a market where there's no supply and, and the demand roars back, that's when you see values really spike upward. So, so I think it's um, it's difficult to know, but I want to I want to caution 
um, you know, the fellow real estate industry that a thin market, even though the values are high, is not an indication of necessarily a broadly health, healthy market. We need we need a deep market. We need we need uh, supply and demand with a healthy volume of transactions to really show us you know where the market is sitting at a point in time. If there's only a few sales happening in the market, but they're still holding a value, that just simply is showing that it's a thin market, low supply. Um, a few buyers out there that are prepared to pay for for those values, um, and that's kind of where we're at now. We're seeing a few transactions happening that are still maintaining uh, the values, um, but consumers and development community alike are not prepared to drop their pricing. They're just prepared to sit and be patient. And of course, there'll be some difficult situations. There might be some households that that um, uh, you know financially, because of of COVID, have, have you know have financial distress uh, or or a few developers that are. Um, uh, caught with some bad timing and they really need to move it. But that's, that's, that's not going to be, um, uh, a broad base, um, indication of what the broader market is really doing. So, um, I think that, uh, until we start seeing the, um, uh, supply numbers really come back, we can't easily evaluate where the market really sits. But my prediction will be is as the supply number comes back, the demand will match it. I don't think we're going to see a flood of supply that outstrips demand, which will which will uh, suppress prices. I think prices are going to remain flat right through this COVID crisis for the next six to twelve months. Is my prediction that prices are not going to surprisingly come off very much. It sounds what you're like. What you're saying is that sellers need to see um, there has to be price discovery, and they have to be able to look at the market um, and and see the values that they want before they're willing to to list. And we were seeing it, especially in some sub-markets in, in Vancouver where, where we operate, we were seeing prices increasing in the first quarter of 2020. Um, actually, ever since about the, about July of last year, we started to see, uh, upward pressure on pricing, partly in, uh, due to inventory, you know, month, month over month. And, and the anticipation, or at least the hope for, I think, a lot of buyers was that this was going to shake loose some inventory. But now it feels like COVID is, is going to prevent that from happening. If we go, if we finally get back to business as usual and we still have these really low rates of inventory, um, I guess the, the real question is, will the, will the buyers be there? Yes. Um, and, and my, my belief is yes, there will be. But I, I think that, but I think on both cases, both on the supply side and the demand side, I don't think we're going to see, um, a, a flood of of new supply coming to the market, nor a flood of demand coming to the market. I think on both sides of that um, uh, of that discussion, um, uh, people are going to ease back into the market. I think I think, um, um, and I, as I said, I don't know if it's going to happen this summer or in the fall or how long it's going to take. But I believe that the supply side is going to ease back into the market, and demand will will respond. Or I actually predict could even outpace. Um, when I was speaking a few, um, 15 minutes ago about about uh, the global environment and the immigration into Canada, you know, Canada, whether it's real or, or perception, the international perception is Canada is dealing with this COVID crisis quite well, and I think our our uh, U.S. neighbors are 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 um, uh, a real spotlight on on how how it's being mishandled in the U.S. And whether it's perception or reality, it doesn't matter. The international uh, arena is showing Canada in good light. And, and going forward into the latter part of 2020, into 2021 and, and beyond, it's only going to put additional pressure onto Canada. So 
indirectly, I, I continue to look at uh, global uh, forces that are driving Vancouver real estate. Our, our real estate is mostly driven by, by global forces, albeit albeit not foreign ownership. These are these are uh, uh, new Canadians that are coming into Canada that are contributing to the broader market, and that is going to come back um, very significantly as soon as um, travel brands and immigration are allowed to open up again. And we just simply don't have the housing in Vancouver to support the demand that is going to ensue from that immigration activity. That ultimately is going to, um, in my view, uh, outstrip the availability of inventory. So the resale market is kind of a rejuggling of, of, of the current pool, but we need to create you know, 30, 40, 50,000 new housing units a year. And recall that it takes three, four, five, six years to build a single project. A single tower is 200 units or 300 units. We need, we need hundreds of those towers to be built in the next five years, not 10. And uh, unless we can see that volume of cranes building new housing units, then real estate values are going to pressure upwards. So, Cameron, you're—I mean—a long, long-term student of the market, and you're advising developers uh, right along the the trajectory from the minute the project is kind of considered to to the final handing over the keys. Is there what uh, like is there a neighborhood in Metro Vancouver or an area right now that you're that you're most excited about? Wow, that's. <clears throat> Um, I mean, I, I get asked that question quite a bit um, when developers are looking about, you know, acquisition targets. Um, there's a lot of discussion about about transit-orientated development, the um, or, or or some of the secondary uh, urban nodes that are being developed throughout the Lower Mainland, um, uh, Surrey Central, um, uh, Brentwood, Metrotown, um, uh, uh, Richmond Number Three Road, for example, and. You know, these are exciting areas where what we're seeing now is they're not bedroom communities to downtown Vancouver, but people are actually residing there, um, working there, or working near there. And um, and the dynamics of the city have changed a lot. In the last 15 years, um, Surrey and the Fraser Valley saw the majority of the people go go west for their income, um, you know, over the Fraser River, um, uh, work for the day, and then commute back home. Now we're seeing that the majority of the people are staying within the Fraser Valley. Um, and so uh, the city is, is evolving quickly to, to, um, uh, to, a, to having these strong um, urban nodes where people are, are working or, or, um, uh, or recreating. And so that changes the dynamic of your question, I think, significantly. People are finding... Um, uh, wonderful places to live um, that don't require proximity to downtown Vancouver. Um, to properly answer that question, I think it depends on on the kind of housing we're seeing. Um, I, I'm proud that Vancouver is is one of the highly densely populated uh, cities in North America. But there's a real um, trend towards people wanting to be in in um, in less space and 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 having more proximity to to um, to amenities outside of their home, um, people seeing their their parks and their and 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 um, and their coffee shops as as their backyard and their living room, and not needing big huge homes like some other um, cities that that have much more space available to them. And so I think Vancouver is is um, by its physical nature 
um, uh, appealing to 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 people that, that that want that kind of living environment. And so, when asked the question about you know where are some of the special neighborhoods that I like, I think it really means different things for different people. I think that um, some people really do value. Um, being in the action or being in very close proximity to 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 retail or transit, and other consumers want a little bit more of an oasis within within the Lower Mainland, and are prepared to um, to be a little bit away from those urban nodes and to have um, a little bit more of a, a quiet environment. And those there's some really special communities that have that as well. I think the real key to development is to understand first of all the um, the customer and what the customer needs. And we, you know, we call it um, the target market or the target markets. And, and if someone's buying, well, if we're designing a, a townhome community in Burke mountain, we're going to design um, homes for a very different household than we are if we're building or designing condominiums for someone in, in, in Brentwood. And yet both those markets are excellent markets today. So um, it's, it's really a difficult question to answer, and it's more about how do we create the ideal home for a particular set, uh, a value set of consumers. And um, I think what we're also really seeing is is um, some of those traditional ways that we evaluate a consumer based on their demographics, making making um, presumptions around people's buying behavior because of their age or their stage of life. Those are really falling apart now. We're seeing a lot of uh, people at late stages of life that want to be in the urban centers. They want to be, be close to the action. They want to dine. And, and, and traditional, traditionally, we would we would think that some of those more mature buyers would want more of a quiet location or be be away from the action. And so we're really seeing um, a lot of shifts in the way um, various consumer groups are are, um, are 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 perceiving and valuing um, different uh, set of attributes of homes. Um, the real art of it is understanding uh, what the desires of the particular group of consumers are and, and creating housing to meet those desires. Cameron, maybe, and that's a, that's a, uh, a great way to look at it, but we've got a lot of uh, kind of mom and pop investors that listen to the program. What about yeah. like somebody who's just considering making, making an investment, um, buying a revenue property in, in Metro Vancouver? Do you have any areas that, that, you're kind of excited excited about from an investment perspective. Well, um, as you've gathered from other themes of this conversation, I'm a long-term thinker when it comes to real estate, and that's why I have uh, an optimistic view of Vancouver. Um, if we measure it month over month, it's 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 like watching our Canucks. It's 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 difficult, and um, I think I think that uh, I think that when we when we're looking three, four, seven years out, um, that's that's the the uh, time horizon that an investor should be thinking about when they're buying real estate. So many things come into to, to play for your question there. One is yield and one is appreciation. So, so how important is, is, is generating um, yield? Um, uh, that is, you know, uh, how much revenue can you create versus the, the, the price you're paying versus which one is likely to appreciate the most. And those are in most cases, um, uh, not correlated. Usually, um, usually the market is smart enough to understand where those hot areas are that are really going to perhaps appreciate in the next decade. And as a result, people are paying a premium over those uh, for those locations compared to the yield that they deliver. So people, um, the uh, the uh, 
the investor needs to, I think, weigh, weigh where they want to be in that. Do they want, uh, are they prepared to accept a, a lower rent um, for that potential appreciation versus do would they rather get a get a better a better yield? So, um, if if someone is leaning more towards what are those hot areas that are going to appreciate, I think it's really difficult to to say there's an undiscovered area um, or or an area that's that's a real sleeper. Um, I think that uh, um, the patterns that we're seeing with with investors is that um, they're buying geographically much further than um, uh, than they were. Even 10 years ago, 10 years ago, an investor was buying in the neighborhoods that they knew or were most comfortable with. Now we're seeing investors are are scouring the entire Lower Mainland and and could live in could live in uh, the west side of Vancouver and prepared to 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 buy an investment home in in uh, Surrey. Where 10 years ago, that was much harder to, for us to see. Um, some of the some of the markets that I think could could. Um, uh, people could look at could be some of the secondary markets, um, markets even as far as um, Squamish. If we think ahead in 10 years and what's happening with COVID and people being prepared to um, uh, to work from home and, and, and people's patterns changing and, and, and ride sharing and just, you know, just, just a real different um, the way people uh, uh, are dependent on transit that, you know, uh, my view is that's going to become less of a factor Um Moving forward, I think that um, I think that places uh, such as um, um, uh, I mentioned Squamish. I'm thinking about uh, uh, you know Steveston and Richmond or um, uh, uh, Port Moody. You know some of these areas that have have great great grassroots communities, um, and uh, and yet um, I think that they're they're less obvious. They're not they're not like buying right in the heart of Metro Town or right in Brentwood. Um, now I'm going to contradict myself though. You know, you're buying in Metro town or Brentwood or downtown Vancouver, you're really buying blue chip locations. These are locations that, that if, if you need to rent it out, you're going to get a hundred people showing up all with applications, you know, within the first hour and, uh, um, you know, right on transit, very accessible. They're, they're, uh, the cities identified these locations as, as high density locations on purpose because of their strategic location throughout the lower mainland. And, and they will always be, they will always be demanded, but they are a little bit more commoditized. So when they're commoditized real estate, um, uh, whether you're reselling your home or you're a tenant looking for a home, there's, there's numerous choices that are similar. If you go to some of those secondary locations, um, the real estate is, is less, uh, replace uh replaceable and more unique so i think those are some of the some of the factors that i think customers should be thinking about but nevertheless i have great faith in investing in real estate in vancouver long term um i think that uh you know you have to look at the political environment uh property taxes um uh you, you know some of the um uh uh expenses that are going to impact yield and um and i think you just have have um, faith that you're going to make um, a good long-term decision. One, of the, I don't know um, uh, if, if it's of interest, but one of the amazing things that I think is often missed in the in the in the development w- uh, world from the general public's per- perception of it is, um, uh, you know, we it, we need to pre-sale a, a portion of our project in order for uh, banks to give construction financing. 
Right. As you, as I think you guys know, typically in a in a typical real estate project, um, the industry needs to sell roughly fifty percent, and and quite often more, fifty sixty percent of a project, in order for the bank to say, oh, okay, we're we we um, uh, you've de-risked the project. We see that the market will accept it at these values, um, and you have a you have a group of buyers that are prepared to buy it and to put up deposits, and therefore now we will start to give you construction financing. And at that point, the developer can start construction. And why this is really important is because um, the development community often sells those initial homes to investors because these homes aren't going to be finished for four years, and and home homeowners that are going to occupy their own homes typically need need housing sooner than that. Then then if if it's a if it's a you know hypothetically a young couple and and they're they're wanting to start a family, um, they're thinking about what their needs are in the near term, and four years out is too far down the road. And so the investors are really 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 critical to kickstart those projects. And um, in the past, you know, in, in 2015, 16, 17, I think that there was a lot of uh, perception and, and and media attention around people buying and flipping real estate. And what most of those investors that that um, invested in those projects in the in the pre-sale stages of those projects and really kickstarted them, well, they were necessary to help that supply come into our province. And without them, that supply would have never have happened. And the reason why they have signed it is because the market had really escalated rapidly. And so many of them were prepared. Many of those investors were prepared to um, to um, to sell uh, and and take some profit. Um, but that wasn't their original intent. They weren't speculators or um, uh, or intending to flip. They bought with a long term intention. The majority of those investors. And so um, going forward, we're going to continue to need the investment um, community to to purchase real estate in order to kickstart real estate projects. And um, and that's just a uh, that's just a, a natural required um, uh, force, and and that's really a, a banking issue. I think if developers, if banks were prepared to uh, lend without any pre-sale test at all, developers would happily do that. They, the developer community, believes in three years from now the real estate market is going to be higher than it is today um, because of those those market forces I shared earlier. So if developers could get bank financing to kickstart projects today, we would be seeing projects even in this COVID environment start construction. In three years, developers would would sell them uh, at completion. Um, so, so we just have this uh, banking environment that requires us to to sell a large portion of the real estate up front. And without those investors, we simply would not have those projects manifest. Yeah, I've always I, we've talked about it on the show before, but it is interesting how you know demonizing kind of individual investors who are essentially helping to finance. Uh, the building of new homes and new supply for for Metro Vancouver. It's a it's a it's a weird. I mean, there's there's a lot of people who have been demonized, but that one's always been one of the more surprising ones. Like, hey, you're you're willing to put up some money to to get this thing built? Uh, shame on you. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I also think it's crazy that that there's so much attention on 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 foreign ownership. I think it's wrong that 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 that. Um, People can keep homes vacant, so I think that the vacancy tax was a was a healthy thing. Although, what what we learned from from the um, from introducing that tax, it was it was not that 
of a, of a large supply. It really didn't make that much of a difference at the end of the day. But whether it's foreign ownership or not, I don't know what the difference is. If you're a pension fund based in Toronto buying a, a, a rental building in Vancouver um, versus an offshore, um, an offshore owner um, buying one condo in Vancouver along with along with uh, 100 other investors in order to allow that project to be built to create housing supply, which will be uh, rented out to tenants. In both those cases, whether you're XYZ pension fund in Ontario owning a building or you're 100 offshore investors, both of those scenarios are allowing that real estate to exist for tenants. Right. And, and that's what we really need is we need housing supply. Cameron, maybe shifting gears a little bit, um, is there industry advice that you hear all the time? Um, you know, almost the rote type of advice that, that, that you really don't agree with? Oh, wow. Um, you have to have to think about that one. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, I, I don't know if I'm directly answering it, but I think that one of the, the, the key frustrations that I have, I think, is, is, um, is the incredible resistance that Greater Metro Vancouver has in, in, in virtually every municipality around new density. And I think that our municipalities do as good a job as they possibly can juggling all the special interests of the existing residents, residents and businesses um, with the need to density, but they're really trapped. And, um, and I think that many of the governments are, are really thinking about um, their, you know, their term of their term or their, their next election. And they're really not thinking what's the, what's the long-term plan of the city. And I, I see a lot of tension between planning departments and between um, uh, the, um, uh, the politicians that are in the spotlight. And, uh, and I really don't see this, this, this sort of um, uh, orchestrated plan to, to bring density um, uh, into the city uh, in a significant way. When I say the city, I'm talking about all the municipalities that make up Greater Metro Vancouver, not just City of Vancouver. Part of the problem is we have such a fractured um, uh, group of municipalities here. You know, we have, uh, I think, 17 different municipalities that make up Greater Metro Vancouver. Each of them it doesn't want to bear the brunt of, of, of density. And, uh, you know, you've got District of North Vancouver that has done, it hasn't approved one, I think it approved one project since it came into term uh, two years ago. It's absolutely ridiculous that they're not prepared to take any density whatsoever. And the whole region needs it. So, so there's, there's not a, a holistic plan. And, um, so I think the biggest frustration I have is, is this, this real allergic reaction to density. And, and, you know, the, the irony of that is the more, uh, as a as an overall community, we resist density. More prices are going to skyrocket. Prices are just going to go up, and right. the government can't artificially um, uh, keep prices down without really hurting um, the quality of of the city. Uh, rent controls, you know, uh, uh, create long term problems. Um, uh, the only way to to keep people from coming into the restaurant is to make the restaurant less attractive. You can't just simply say to the lineup on the sidewalk, "Okay, you know, if 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 you're if you're a past patron of this restaurant, you get you get front of line access. Everyone else, you're not wanted." And so, so we absolutely, um, you know, if if we keep prices down in the restaurant, more people want to come because it's a great value. If prices go up, well, it upsets everybody except for those that can afford it. And so it's a, you know, the only way to do it is to expand the restaurant. 
or people are going to have to find a new restaurant to go to. People are going to have to move to Nanaimo or Kelowna or other centers. We just simply can't contain um, uh, uh, this this incredible place to live by curtailing demand. That's a great uh, analogy there. I've never heard that one. <laughs> um, you know, I think there's so many, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep with the analogy. There's so much nostalgia about Vancouver. This is the frustrating part. You know, if I was growing up with my parents and going to this great little Italian restaurant and, you know, you knew the waiter and, and uh, you know, prices were, you know, nine ninety nine for a big plate of pasta was phenomenal. And over time it changes, you know, and there's empty, you could call and get the, the best table in the corner every time. And, you know, soon it changes and the tables are not available. And then, and so they expand the rest, they expand the restaurant one day and, and, you know, they relieve a little bit of, of, of that pressure for a while, but then the restaurant, you know, eventually this is just going to continue. There'll be a time, you know, it's a silly little analogy, but we just as a city need to realize that, you know, it's not a closed, it's not a closed system here. Um, that, that, a million Canadians are coming into the country in the next three years, and a lot of them want to live in Vancouver, and a lot of people that live in Vancouver want to stay in Vancouver. And those that's a that's a natural um, pressure cooker. And unless we create more supply, that pressure cooker has only become more intense. And uh, I, I think that government needs to think about it quite clearly like that. I think by pulling on all the levers of, of taxation and rent control um, does nothing more than hurt existing residences as much as it does scare away uh, people that uh, new Canadians that would like to live here, but are going to choose other locations. And so we have to decide, do we want employment here? Do we want employment that is going to um, uh, occupy all the new uh, office spaces being built in downtown uh, at the moment, for example, and in order to accommodate all that, the only answer is supply. It's interesting. Like we we had Gil Kelly on the program not too long ago, uh, talking about Vancouver, the citywide plan, um, or the city plan, I guess. Where basically what the city of Vancouver is trying to do right now is to get some kind of a cohesive plan, um, not necessarily to replace community plans, but to bring them more together. And it sounds like part of your frustration is is that you know in thinking about Metro Vancouver versus all the municipalities there's there's no cohesion and even if you even if you might have the the gates open to to the development community in in one municipality um, we need we need it in in all municipalities absolutely and um, you know I, I think uh, I think uh, uh, intention and and uh, and and dialogue is 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 feeling like it's a it's going the right direction. The city of Vancouver um, pats themselves on the back and does a press conference when they, when they, when they approve a a small rental project of less than a hundred units. Let me be clear. We need tens, if not hundreds of thousands of new units in the next five years, not a hundred at a time with a press conference. We, we need, um, we need 30, 40,000 units a year just to keep up with demand if we want to to tip, to tip the affordability if this if the, if the um, municipal interest or the uh, government uh, provincial or municipal interest is to actually create it more affordable we need that supply to exceed that demand um so you know they're not even scratching the surface of, of really what we need when i say they i'm referring to all the various municipalities um we need significant significant housing supply created and uh 
you know, and I, I guess my fear is that even if we create more housing supply, that's just going to create um, more accessibility um, to to uh, current Vancouverites or or, um, or new Canadians, and and all of those seats will be filled as well. So, um, uh, but certainly the constrained supply that we have now is only putting long-term pressure on values upward. So uh, right back to your investment question, I don't think we're going to solve this problem in the next five years to 10 years. We have such a a fractured approach um, through all the municipalities, such a resistance to, to, uh, to density. um, And and these are, these are, these are deeply rooted things within, within all the municipalities and all the communities. There's going to be supply uh, constraints. Um, the other piece that we have is incredible red tape. It takes, it takes up to two years to have a project approved today compared to 10 years ago. It would be less than half that time. We have long timelines, more risk uh, as a result of these, of these uncertain timelines. And, um, and uh, investors can be confident that there's always going to be that supply constraint. And so that's going to help them with appreciation potential. Yeah, it's interesting that the uh, the, the fractured kind of nature of, of uh, politics in the different municipalities, it, it almost rewards a st- status quo in a, lot of, in a lot of cases, right? I mean, North Van, like from, from a supply perspective, it's like it doesn't make sense. Um, but when you think of Port Moody versus Coquitlam, say, and, and how it seems like Port Moody's really dragging their feet, they're, the politicians are likely being rewarded by, by a lot of the longtime residents there. Um, so it makes sense from a, on a political kind of, uh, from a calculation that way. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a problem, a problem. And I, I think, I think I, I at least agree with you and I'm sure Adam, based on our conversations, you would as well. It doesn't seem like we're going to sort it out anytime soon. N- not on this call, probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's take the next five minutes. We'll sort it out. In time for yeah, lunch. It's definitely, uh, yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely uh, uh, an interesting problem. But, uh, but back to um, uh, consumers of real estate in Vancouver or owners of real estate in Vancouver uh, or people that are involved in, in um, uh, the professional services of it. Um, I, I do know that despite the fact that we're right in, in COVID and it's going to take some time for us to, to get out of it, that um, if I could kind of summarize my theme here is that, is that there's going to be great pressure on Vancouver real estate in the long term, And, and the, the way that the international arena is is looking at Canada t- today is only uh, elevating us or elevating us um, relative to to other places on the planet, and um, and therefore um, uh, those those um, immigration forces are, are not going to be curtailed at all. Um, any any delay in in immigration that happens in 2021 is going to is going to rebound in 20 sorry in 2020 is going to rebound in 2021. Um, so this uh, this immigration delay is is short lived, and uh, and therefore that supply uh, sorry that demand force is is going to be there. And yet there's incredible um, uh, uh, constraints on our ability as an industry to to bring new supply forward. But I do know that over the next decade. That uh, that MLA's role in the industry to, to help developers create the the most exciting real estate possible, to to educate the the, um, the public about it and and to and to match make it with a, with a consumer, that's that's going to become um, 
uh, even more, um, uh, well, that's going to continue to be very robust, uh, 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 industry for us, but, um, but, uh, you know, being creative and being innovative and, 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 uh, embracing, embracing, I think just, just the, the, you know, new consumer behaviors and things like that is going to be also important. So I just have great faith that, that, um, uh, tens of thousands of new homes are going to be built in Vancouver, but still not going to be able to keep up with the demand that we're going to see. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think that the, the one thing that this will do for our industry is, is make it more resilient with, uh, uh, for, for dealing with, with, uh, you know, ongoing, um, crises like the one we're in, um, so that we have better, better tools in front of us as well. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Cam, maybe, um, maybe we'll leave it there, but I, I, we have this segment called the five wire, five quick questions about, uh, Vancouver and, and yourself. Can you stick around for that? Yes, you bet. I can. Okay. So first question is what is your favorite neighborhood in Vancouver? Oh, okay. So I think there's so many special neighborhoods, uh, throughout greater Metro, but, um, you know, I have to be biased to, to, um, my neighborhood. I live in the Carousel area and, the cherry blossoms are out and uh, lots of parks and uh, trees and, you know, great place to, to, to walk. I also love how it's changing. There's, there's um, lane houses coming in and new, new families coming in. And, and I think it's just a, a really terrific place because of, uh, uh, because of a combination of that and also accessibility. It's close to downtown, close to the airport, close to UBC. So I think, um, I think I'd have to go with that one. Right on. Uh, favorite bar or restaurant? You know what? My office is uh, downtown on Homer Street. Right beside us is the Homer Street Cafe, and I love it. It's just comfort food, great place to go for lunch or dinner or have a glass of wine, and they're even open. Uh, uh, I can sneak in there and have a coffee and have a have a meeting with somebody as well. So I think I'll have to go with that one. What's one that's book a first? Yeah, actually, that is a first. But that's that's a that's a great one. What what's one book that you would recommend that our listeners read? Oh gosh, um, I I think um, one book I'd read. You know what? Instead of going to to all the business books, I'm going to go with. Um, I love uh, I love history and historical fiction. So um, I don't know. I think I would probably lead uh, lean towards uh, something in in that world. You know, uh, Ken Follett's got a whole bunch of them. Uh, Pillars of the Earth is very interesting, for example. Interesting. Okay. Making a note. Um, <laughs> one one piece of advice you would give your eighteen year old self? Oh, well, I've got a seventeen year old son and an eight and a nineteen year old daughter, <laughs> so <laughs> right in the right in the middle. Um, you know, I think I think this whole uh, COVID crisis has been incredibly grounding, and um, I think it's been fantastic for our family to spend all the time together and, and see the dynamic between my kids. Sometimes they're each other and sometimes they're best friends. And I think any advice that that um, I could give myself over again at 18 is, is really to slow down and appreciate those things, appreciate my family, appreciate meals together, um, and, and that connectivity that is just irreplaceable. And, and the final question, Cameron, is uh, what is something that you've purchased for under $1,000 that's changed your life? Um, for me, this is easy. Um, my entire life from the age of 20, halfway through university, I've had a journal in my pocket. 
And uh, the journals changed in size because of, uh, of uh, you know, going from a school bag to a suit jacket, but it goes wherever I go and I never miss anything. So um, over the years, I've spent everything from uh, $3 to, to $100 for a fancy leather one. Um, but, but what's changed my life the most is that, that, that journal goes wherever I go and I have the same system. The front half is, is my day to day, um, activity and working from the back to the middle is, is ideas, thoughts, um, uh, capturing quotes, anything that moves me, inspires me. And I have it going back, um, for more than 30 years on my bookshelves. It's funny. One one of the wow. questions, yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic one. But one of the questions we actually had for you that that we didn't get to just because we've we've ran long was what was one of the the habits that you've implemented in your life that's had a a huge transformative uh, impact? And sounds like journaling is is definitely it. Yeah, I, I and and it's funny when you when you work with one, you can even recall it. You can say, oh, you know what? I remember roughly back in. 2008, when I was absolutely in, in the darkest place and, and, and had to make those very difficult decisions to lay off some people, what was going on in my, in my heart? And I can go back and I can refer to that. And um, I, I still um, I still keep that. It's not a to-do list. It's not just a you know list of my, my day's tasks that I check off, but it's but it captures my goals and everything like that. And I, I recall going over with my son because he's a, he's 17 at his stage of life. I recall showing him in my, my university ones, my goals. And, um, and, uh, and he had a bit of an aha as well. And so for me, um, I think that that was probably the one habit that, uh, that impacted me the most. Wow. That is, uh, that, that is a great one. And the first, well, well, thanks. Thanks so much, Cameron, for your, your time. That was a, a phenomenal conversation. Um, and I think our listeners will take a lot from it. So thanks so much for your time. Yeah, Adam, Matt, thanks again for, for all your time today. I appreciate it. And uh, sorry we couldn't do this in studio. And uh, <laughs> we're doing it over the phone, uh, respecting social distancing. I don't totally. think it's called social distancing. It, it, it reminds me of social isolation. It's called physical distancing. Right. Um, right. But, uh, but guys, thanks so much. I really appreciate this it, uh, happening today. Yeah, absolutely. And Cameron, I just want to, just for people that are looking to find out more about what you're doing and, and of course, MLA Canada, how can they do that? Uh, yeah, our website is mlacanada.com. And, uh, you know, we list our, we list our, our projects and we have a good news feed in there with, uh, with, uh, uh, commentary and, 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 uh, and news releases and things we're working on as well. Well, thanks again, Cameron. Fantastic. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Cameron McNeil, executive director, founder, partner at MLA Canada. We went we went long with Cameron McNeil, and also we had like this crazy phone mishap. I was on my front porch, south-facing, so much sun, so sun-drenched in the words of realtors <laughs> everywhere, uh, that my phone actually, for the first time that I've ever had this happen to me, overheated and it just shut it shut down it was like oh you've reached overheated in april yeah talk talk about sun drenched i know i know that is sun drenched (laughs) i'm already starting to market this place not thinking about selling but that sunlight um anyways but we lost cameron we got him back on what a great conversation and uh so happy we finally had him on the show and you know what else happened with cameron which was, was which was really great matt um i don't know if you recall but he did commit 
to coming to a Vancouver real estate live when we are free from this physical distancing. And uh, he's going to join us, have a couple beers at um, the Vancouver Real Estate Live event, which we have no idea when the next one's going to be, but I'm so excited. Yeah, you know what? Those Vancouver Real Estate Lives, I miss those. That's on our YouTube channel, Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I would head over there and subscribe just in case we we have one without even telling anyone. But yeah, that's going to be that's going to be a good a good a good time with Cameron and McNeil. That is for sure. Uh, what else do we got before we go, Adam? Well, we should reiterate, if you're still here and you're an agent, seasoned, new, aspiring, we are hiring at Scalina Real Estate and the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. Get in touch at info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also have our website for everybody listening, vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Head over there for all things real estate, such as resource tools like, and we haven't done this in a while, Adam. I'll see if but I can we're going to do it again because we're, we're feeling so optimistic right now like private client services. Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by with face masks on, of course. Um, You get sold prices. You get days on market. You basically get realtor-level information at your fingertips. It's free. It's available at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Seriously, there's absolutely no reason you shouldn't be using PCS to search for real estate in Vancouver. If you're not using PCS, you're doing it wrong. We also have the live wire that has the deal of the month. It's sending out stats, uh, all sorts of really useful information, whether you're at home or back at work, you'll want to be on the live wire for sure. That's at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Yeah, Matt. And, and again, we're, we're still, uh, everyone should be staying home. Um, you know, we're, we're still on lockdown here and, and we, uh, we, we are as well. You and I currently on a, on a phone call here. We're not in the same room. Um, Hey, we're on a phone call. Hey, this is how at home I am. I put on jeans and a button down shirt today. And my kid literally said to me this morning, why so fancy? Oh, Uh, that's, that's, (laughs) and then you put on a polo tie and then she was like, okay, there's my dad. (laughs) Yeah. Virtual Uh, chili cook off. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know what the thing is, is that here's, here's, here's what it is in, in a nutshell. Um, we can still do showing, we have Matterports, we have virtual tours, um, we have vacant properties where we're taking measures, um, obviously uh, the same distancing measures, physical distancing measures that are in place. Um, we can do this safely if you do want to see real estate, if you have to buy or if you if you have to sell. There's ways to market your property. And um, it's actually quite impressive the way that um, the industry has come together with uh, some of these new technologies to adapt and uh, overcome. Absolutely. So if you want to talk about new technologies, overcoming real estate, uh, anything else, uh, I'm at home and awaiting your call. 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also got that secret line. Yeah. If you're, if you're not looking to talk about overcoming and uh, <laughs> optimism and you just want to have a good pout info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. He's all ears. Uh, I heard he, I, he's I like, heard he got a Nintendo Switch, so we may never see him again. <laughs> I, I'm just wondering, does Switch have to be online? Because I'm not sure you can get Wi-Fi in that bunker. <laughs> all right. Have a good week, guys. We'll be back next week. Take, Take care. care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.
Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs> 